Alrighty. So how's everybody doing today? Good, good, good. That's what we like to hear. Um, so before we begin, um, if I can ask a giant favor, it's this week has been a little hectic for me, and to prove that, I left my coffee mug somewhere in this this building. And Grace gave it to me, so it's kind of important. So I'd like, if anybody sees a black little thermos, uh, find me afterwards. I appreciate it. All right. Has nothing to do with the sermon, but, uh, yes, I would like that. All right. All right. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, I just stand here just in awe and amazement. Lord, as we just, get to finishing with this moment of worship, this time of singing your praises, a time of, of calling out to you, this time of just thinking about you, contemplating on you. Lord, we know that when we, when we praise and we pray, it's like a sweet aroma to you. That they don't just, we're not like the prophets of Baal where we can pray and we can, we can, we can do all the things, we can do all the actions, but yet you do not hear us. But we know that you hear us. We know that you've sent your spirit to be here with us, with the, the great comforter, the great teacher. He's here to guide us, to bring back to remembrance all the things that we have been learning, but he's also to use us. To, he comes in and he teaches us all the things that you want us to learn. So, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit just come. Let him be in this place. Let him teach us. Let us guide us. Let us convict us of our sins where it needs conviction. See where we show our shortcomings are and how we can become more and more like you. Lord, we just ask that you just be with us, guide us, and take care of us in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, about nine years ago, I, a little over nine years ago now, I actually started my career in sales. Right. So for those who don't know, you know, I, I work at a car dealership and nine years ago I started. Now, when you every person that ever starts in sales and especially in car dealerships, you get in, you start shaking everybody's hand and then immediately everybody's going to start telling you, hey, go listen to this guy. He'll teach you how to sell. Oh, go watch these videos. There's this training. There's this. There's that. There's everything. They bombard you with all this stuff. And, you know, these guys are successful. So what do you do? You say, OK, maybe they've got the. The secret. They'll teach you how, you know, they'll teach you how to sell so that you can be successful. And I remember there was this one video they sent me like, dude, you gotta listen to this. God, this, you have to, you have to. Right? And what it was is there was a, there was a sales trainer and he was interviewing a billionaire, a pharmaceutical CEO billionaire. Right? It was on a little podcast thing and he's, he sits there and at one point he asks the billionaire, he goes, you're super, super successful. What is the secret to your success? What do you do that nobody else do does so that we can do the same thing, right? And he goes, oh, it's real simple. Buy a dictionary. And I'm like, okay, let's see where this goes, right? That's an interesting, an interesting answer. So he goes, what I love to do is I like to, when there's new terms, there's new concepts, there's new this, there's new that. I don't know everything, so I want to get a dictionary, and I'm going to open it up, and I'm going to go to that word, and I'm going to find it, and I'm going to read that definition. But I'm not going to read it just once or just twice. I'm going to spend like weeks 
on the definition of this new term. I want to learn it inside and out, from front to back, left to right. I want to know everything, think through all of it, about the definitions of these words. And like as soon as the video was over, I thought to myself, well, if the secret is to buy a dictionary, well then, you know what? I'll go to Barnes & Noble and I'll be a billionaire in a few weeks, right? But of course, I don't think it works that way. It doesn't work that way in business at all, right? He's obviously successful because of a lot of different things besides a dictionary. But fast forward, you know, fast forward, you know, to now, I think that the dictionary doesn't help us in business, but a dictionary really would, it does help us in our spiritual walk. You see, because like, Every we're getting closer to January, and when January comes, what are you going to get hit with? Everybody's how to read the Bible in a year. There's programs of how to read the Bible in 90 days. We're going to you know go through five chapters a day. We've got all of these things, and they're good things. We should be reading the Word. We should. But I think that taking that dictionary approach of let's slow down, let's think of one word, two words, concepts. Let's just take them in our minds. Let's just chew them over. Think about them. How does it apply to this? How does it apply to that? How can I, you know, what does it really mean to be justified? What does it really mean to be sanctified? What are all of these church words that we, we tend to say and just go? What do they really, really mean? Just slowing it down. That's kind of what we've been doing here at Hope for the past couple of weeks, right? Pastor started to, you know, I guess two full weeks ago, that he started, we started here in James, and he's been talking about integrity. And I don't remember if you remember, he talks about it. It comes from the same word that means for that we get the word integer. So it's a whole number. It's wholeness. Right? When we think about a bridge, if a bridge has integrity, it means that it's solid. It's whole. There's no cracks. It's not crumbling. It's not falling apart. And this is how we should be as Christians. Right? We should be, have integrity. We should have a wholeness of heart. We should be fully dedicated to God. So today we're actually going to continue on with this integrity, but we're going to switch it up slightly, right? Because not only should we be have integrity in our hearts, but we should have integrity with each other. We're going to see that we need integrity in the church. We need a wholeness in the church. We need to be solid, not cracks, not crumblings, not falling apart. So we're like, so we're going to be in James 4. We're going to talk about the integrity in the church. But as we look at the integrity of the church, we're actually going to see three very important things. Where the three things are, we're going to have, James is going to show us that we have a problem. He's then going to show us why we have a problem. And then lastly, because we're going to find out how to fix this problem, right? Because we want to be whole. So we're going to be reading in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And I know it's a little bit different, but if we could... If everybody could just please stand as we read God's holy word. Again, we're going to be in James chapter 4. The word of the Lord says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Or do you just suppose that it is no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, Good, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You may be seated. So immediately, so this is to our first point. What is the problem? And it doesn't take very far. He tells us immediately, we don't have to go very far, because he tells us immediately in verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He says the problem in the church is, yes, I'm supposed to be with integrity, but what are we doing? We're quarreling. We're fighting. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about quarreling, right, I think about, I think about growing up, me and my, my brothers, right? We would pester each other. We'd poke each other. We'd kind of fight. We'd kind of do these things. We'd annoy each other. We acted like brothers, right? And I'm not saying this is right, but this is the kind of this pestering, this bickering. This is kind of what I think of when I hear the word quarreling. But Scripture paints a very different picture. The word for quarrel is polemos. And so we see it in a couple different places elsewhere. It helps us get a better picture of what this quarreling actually means. The first place is in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 starts with Jesus proclaiming that the temple is going to be destroyed. This blows the disciples' minds. They ask, when is this temple going to be destroyed? What are the signs of its destruction? And then later Jesus is going to say that there will be wars, polemos, and rumors of wars, rumors of polemos. It's a war. It's not a squabble. Revelations 12.7 says that a war breaks out in heaven with Michael and his angels fighting the dragon. Now this war is not where demons and angels, you know, they're just all hanging out and they're just pestering each other. There's just like this little bit of bickering going on. No, this is an all-out war. Revelation 19.19 also uses polemos to describe the apocalyptic battle between the beast and his armies against Christ and his armies. So you get this epic, epic battle, this war, this polemos. And James is sitting here telling you, why are you at quarreling? Why are you polemos? Why are you at war? Now I think what's being said is that it's not that, you know, I don't think that James, James is saying like that we're actually at a physical war. It's not that Hope Church gathers up its armies and we're going to go against, you know, the church down the street with their armies and there's going to be blood in the streets. It's not that kind of war. We're not going Hatfield and McCoys on each other. We're not saying this at all. But I think what is being said is that just as war brings out certain outcomes, quarreling in the church is also going to bring out those same outcomes. Physical war brings life-changing wounds. Fighting in the church will also bring life-changing spiritual wounds. Physical wars, they will break families apart. Church fights break families apart. Physical wars push people away from friends and cause alienation. Church fights, they're going to push people away and cause alienation. 
Physical wars push people to self-medicate, and unfortunately, church fights can also push people to self-medicate. Physical wars are going to bring about a deep-seated hatred for the other side. Church wars, church quarrels, bring about a deep-seated hatred for those on the other side. This is the exact opposite of living with integrity. This is not being solid. This is not being with no cracks. This is not being with integrity at all. This is not how the body of Christ should be living. This should never be a description of the church. We should never be quarreling. Because Scripture has called us over and over to a life of unity. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, There are to be no divisions among you. 1 Peter 3.8, We are to have a unity of mind. Psalm 133.1, How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Ephesians 4.3, We are to be eager and maintain the unity of the Spirit. Romans 12.4.5, We are one body with many members. Colossians says that love binds everything. Jesus prays in His high, uh, high priestly prayer in John 17, He prays that we become perfectly one as He is one with the Father. Romans 14 tells us to pursue what makes for peace. 2 Chronicles 30.12 says the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart. Because we're supposed to have integrity. We're supposed to have this unity. We're not supposed to be fighting. We're not supposed to be quarreling. Proverbs 6.12, he's going to tackle the unity from the other side. When it says that a worthless person, a wicked man, one with a perverted heart, he sows discord. So when we quarrel, when we're at war, when God says we're worthless, we are being wicked. Our hearts are perverted. Now you may be thinking, well, I don't know why we're even going over this, right? Well, you know, the whole church, we're fine. We're not about to have anything going on. We're not like trying to hold the church together, not about to split, none of that quarreling stuff going on. And that's true. But I will add that it does not take very much at all for this quarreling to take place in a church. So okay, see, years ago I was providing pulpit supply to a church. And one Sunday, my mom and my dad were able to attend to hear me preach. And this was pretty cool for me because my parents, they've next to never got to, they never, we were never able to attend. So here they come, you know, they drove with me, we come to the church, we come in through the doors, and what am I doing? Of course, I'm showing everybody, hey, introducing them, hey, there's my mom, hey, here's my dad, everything. This is a big deal for them, and it's a big deal for me. So as I'm walking around and everything else, one of the ladies, you know, I introduce my mom to one of the ladies, and the lady says, looks at my mom, she looks at what my mom is wearing and says, you know what, that's a nice shirt that you are wearing. And I thought nothing of it. I continue to get ready. I get mic'd up. I've got to go through everything, right? The service has got to begin. But the next thing I know, my mom, she's walking out of the bathroom, and suddenly she has put on considerable amount of makeup. And it's obvious that she's been crying. And I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand anything. And I go try to figure it out. I go to see what's going on. And Ariel stops me. She goes, hey, look, don't worry about it. I've got it. I will explain this later. Just go and go up there and go ahead and do what you got to do. And I was like, no, no, no. My mom's crying. I got to figure it out. What is going on? No, no. Just we'll talk about it later. You see, what I, when I hear the words, the actual words were said that the shirt was nice. But the actual meaning of the words were, that shirt's not nice. That shirt shows that you're poor. 
that shirt shows that you don't fit in this church. And immediately my mom knew it. And Ariel knew it. They knew immediately what was said. There in a split second, the quarreling began. The bombs were dropped. The hearts, the emotions, the wounds, everything was there. Damage was done. Discord sown. No integrity. Now we know this isn't good. We know this war is not what God wants. But then if it keeps on, if we know it isn't good and it keeps on happening, we have to ask ourselves, why? Why are we quarreling? Why are we at war? Why do we lack integrity? Why are we not whole? Why, why, why? And this gets us to our second point. The second point is we do have this. Why do we have this problem? And the answer is because I have no integrity within ourselves. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, what causes quarreling and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? So James, is he's just going to tell us straight up. Your passions are at war within you. He's not going to wait for us to figure it out. He tells us immediately. We have these passions that are at war within ourselves. And this is why we are at war in the church. This is why we quarrel. Now, the word for passion means anything that brings us pleasure. So the word itself is not a good word or a bad word. It's just neutral. Just whatever brings us passion, pleasure. But notice it says our passions are at war. Paul is going to describe it deeper in Romans 7. When verse 22, he says that he delights or finds joy in the law of God. His passion is to obey God. He finds pleasure in obeying God. But the very next verse, he says, but there's a law of sin that controls parts of his body. So he wants to obey God, but the flesh sees the sinful things of the world and says, I want, I want, I want. We're just like Paul. On the one hand, we want to serve God. We want to worship him. We want to build his kingdom. We want to obey him. We want to be like Ephesians 13, 19 says, be fulfilled in the fullness of God. But, just like Paul, we also have the sinful desires. We see the evil of the world and we say, I want that. We see the corporate ladder. We want that promotion. We want that title. We become obsessed with it. We give everything for that job. Deep down, We know that we're making this job our God. We know we're breaking the first commandment. But we justify it. We promise. It'll only be until I get this job. Once I get the job, after that, then I'll go back to church. Then I'll go back to putting God first in my life. Our sinful passions take over. For the, for the youth, you know, you, you, you get invited to a party. You want to go to this party, right? And your parents ask you, is it, will it be chaperone? Will there be alcohol? Will there be drugs? And at this moment, you choose to break the ninth commandment. You choose to lie to your parents. You know that there will be alcohol. You know it will, be, will, be, will not be chaperone. It breaks every rule that your parents have given you. But you don't care because your sinful passions take over. Or maybe it's everyone at work has been talking about the latest and greatest movie. You want to go see it because you're the only person who hasn't. But if you go and see it, you know that you're breaking the third commandment because you're going to, it's going to take the Lord's name in vain. Over and over it will. 
And you know that it's going to cause you to break the seventh commandment because you will commit adultery because of those certain scenes. You know all these things, but you still watch it. Again, you try to justify it in so many ways, but in the end, your sinful passions have taken over. This war goes on in each of us. I stand here telling you the war is inside me, and it's inside of you. It's not that some of us have it and some of us do not. But when we give in to those passions of the flesh, we're not living with integrity. We're not living holy for God. And James tells us that this lack of integrity in our personal lives, this is the reason why we quarrel. This is the reason why we war in the church. So often we want to blame others. But James is telling us plainly that it's not the other person's fault. You know, my dad always used to say that it takes two to tango. James is saying, no, it's all you, buddy. It is all you. It's not the other church's fault. It's not the other class's fault. It's not the sinners' fault. It's not the other denominations. It's none of that. God's holy word tells us that it is our fault, my fault, your fault. We do not live with integrity in ourselves, so we don't have integrity in the church. So how do we fix this? How do we stop the war that's in ourselves? How do we stop the war in the church? James is going to give us a three-step process. So the first one is, is how do we fix this problem? The first thing is we need to, verse 7 tells us, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. This is the first thing we must do. We must submit to God. If I'm going to live holy for God, then I must submit to Him. Submission means that I'm going to put myself under God. It means that I'm going to bend the knee to God. I will pledge allegiance to God. We're saying that we will obey and do whatever God commands of us. We will obey regardless of what the world says. No matter how hard it is, I submit your your rules, your laws, your commandments. That is what I will do. So in Colossians 4, 6, when it says that my speech should be gracious, then I will submit to God and I will clean up my words. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, when it tells me that I'm to take every thought captive to obey Christ, then I will submit to God and I will do everything to turn my thoughts to Christ. Ephesians 5.22 tells the wives that if they want to submit to Christ, they need to submit to their husbands. Wives must recognize the authority of her husband in the house. You have to. If you want to submit to God, you must. But husbands, don't go too far, because three verses later, Paul says that we are to love our wives and give my, and I'm supposed to give myself up for her. I want to live with integrity. I want to live holy for God. I want to submit to God. So I will sacrifice my time, my energy, my attention, even my very life for my wife. Deuteronomy 6 7 says that I'm to teach the words of God to my children. So I will submit to God. I will not just bring my child to church and let the church do it. But I will submit. I will teach her. As Deuteronomy says, I will teach her when we are sitting at the house. I will teach her when we are walking by the way. I will teach her when we wake up. And I will teach her when we lay, when I lie down. We do this because, I do this because I submit to God. But submitting to God is not enough. Why? Why is submission not enough? Because as soon as we decide to submit to God, 
the devil comes to tempt us. He wants to get that war going up again. Because think about it, Adam and Eve, they were submitting, submitting to God, and what happened? The devil came and he tempted them. Jesus was submitting to the will of the Father, and the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Because see, Acts 13.10 tells us that the devil is the enemy of all righteousness. He is such an enemy that he has to fight against it. When we submit to God, we're saying that I will do righteous acts. I want to follow the way of righteousness. We are going to be trying, doing these things, and Satan's like, I hate that. I am an enemy of that. I don't want that. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that that does not happen. Now, sometimes Pete, sometimes he comes, you know, as Brother Paul alluded to in 1 Peter 5.8, he says that the devil comes like a roaring lion. Right? Sometimes we, we have this moment with God. We have this moment where we get right with God. We submit to God. And we walk out that door. And we know that devil is coming. We can see the attacks. We can see the onslaught immediately. But sometimes he comes much quieter. 2 Timothy 2.26 says, the devil puts out snares. Ephesians 6.11 says the devil schemes against us. So sometimes he's like a roaring lion, and sometimes he's lying very quietly in the grass waiting to pounce. But however he comes, we know he's coming. And this gets us to the second step for fixing our problem of integrity. Second thing is how do we fix this problem? We submit to God and then we must resist the devil, continuing in verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. We must resist. But this is not resisting like, I resist, I resisted and I didn't go back for second set, you know, for a second dessert, right? I resisted and I didn't eat the extra cookie. I just resisted the little bitty temptations here. This is not the kind of resistance. I can't simply resist by the power of my mind. I can't use willpower and resist. Because the devil is attacking and he's going, he has the resolve that he's going to make, do everything he can to fight against righteousness. Deuteronomy 7.24 in the Septuagint uses the same word here to resist. And he uses it to talk about when Israel goes into the promised land, none of the nations will be able to stand against them. None will be able to resist. So you've got this picture of here is the Israelites coming into the coming into battle, coming into the promised land, and they're saying that they will not be able to resist. So if we're going to flip it around, when here we have an army, a demonic army, the devil is coming. He's attacking. He's putting the snares. He's putting the schemes. He's as that roaring lion. He's coming out. Then we have to be to resist. That means we're going to have that army, we're going to push back, and we're going to say, here's the line, go no further. We defend, we stand tall, we hold the line. But this all sounds good, but the question is how? How do I resist the devil? Okay, I know I need to submit to God. I have an idea what that looks like. I know I need to let the, the his laws be in my life. I Wherever he says, I'll go. I get that. But what does it mean to resist? How do I resist God? This gets us to our third. The third. How do we fix this problem? We submit to God. We resist the devil. But then in verse 8, we're going to draw near to God. Verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
See, I can't go up against the devil on my own. Mark 5 tells us about a man, we talked about it in Sunday school even this morning, talks, tells us about a man possessed by a legion of demons. And the Scriptures tells us that no one could bind them, bind him. They would take him, they put shackles around him, and go into the tomb, and what would happen? He would just break off the shackles. There is nothing that these people could do. The whole city could come against this one man who's possessed by demons, and nothing would subdue him. Acts 19 tells us of uh, seven men who they tried to cast out a demon. The men thought they had it all figured out. They thought they had the magic words. They've seen Paul do this enough times. I'm going to just say what Paul says. The demon will leave and we'll get this thing all handled. So they said the certain words. They did everything they needed to do. And what happened? The demon basically laughs at their attempts. It says the possessed man, he leaps up on the seven men. He overpowers them to the point that the seven men actually flee the house naked and wounded. They got whooped. So we can't go to war against the devil on my own. This is why James tells us that we need to draw near to God. This is how we will be able to resist the devil. How we can stand against him. Now there's two different ways that we can draw near to God. The first way is we need to draw near to God is to flood our lives with Scripture. Think back to Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. We talked about it briefly. He goes out by the power of the Spirit. He goes into the desert. He's fasting and praying. The devil comes out. He starts to tempt. And every time the devil tempts, what does Jesus do? He says, it is written. And he quotes Deuteronomy. So here's Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the creator of all things, the one who holds all of creation together, fully God, fully man, has the the armies of the angels at his disposal. He has all of this, and yet how does he resist the devil? By quoting Scripture. See, we forget the power of Scripture. We forget that Scripture is sharper than any two-edged sword. We forget that in John 17, 17, John Jesus is praying, and He prays that we are sanctified in truth. And then He says His Word is truth. This means that Scripture has the power to sanctify us, to make us more Christ-like, to mold us into His image. This is why the psalmist in 119 can say that, Thy Word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against You. The more Word, the more Scripture we have deep in our souls, the less we will sin. It helps defeat Satan. This means that the more that we want to draw near to God, we need His Word deep inside. You know, as Paul, people used to say of Paul Bunyan, if you were to cut his arm, he would bleed Bible because he had the Bible so deep inside of him. That's how it should be with all of us. We should have the Scriptures deep inside of us, part of us. But the second way that we draw near to God is through prayer. So in Mark 9, we have this interesting story where there's disciples, they tried to cast this demon out. They go in and they try to, and it doesn't work. And Jesus comes along and he just comes in right in. He goes, boom, the, 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 the demons are gone. So later the disciples come to him and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. How does this work? We did what we thought we were supposed to do. We believed. We did all of these things, and yet it didn't work. Nothing happened. What do we? Then Jesus responds with, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. 
The more we pray, the closer we come to God, the more we can resist the devil. The the, the great Puritan Thomas Brooks, he puts it this way, prayer is a scourge to the devil, or a whip to the devil. Everybody whips the devil through prayer. When we pray, it punishes the devil as the whip punishes a criminal, but it also keeps him at bay as the whip keeps the wild animals away. So this is a beautiful thing. This is saying that the more we pray, the more that we put Scripture in our hearts, the more that we resist the devil. And we are going to have to resist the devil because we are going to submit to God. We want to submit to God, and we know this, that the devil, he says, no, I don't like this at all. I'm an enemy of this. So we have to resist him. And we want to submit to God because that's going to bring integrity in our hearts. And James is telling us that when we have integrity in our hearts, when we are solid, when we are holy for God, then there will be no more quarreling. That the church will have integrity. The church will be solid. The church will not be crumbling. It will have integrity. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, we just, we take in a moment, Lord, to think of what it means to have integrity. Just as James says that there's, there's quarreling in the church, so we can look out and we can say, you know what? There's quarreling in the church. There's wars. There's wounds. There's animosity. There's hatred. There's ill feelings. There's words that are said that should never be said. And Lord, I know that each of us at different times, in different ways, we're all guilty of this. That without thinking, we say something that we shouldn't say. That we say something sharp. We say something offensive. We know that we let our emotions and our passions get ahead of us. And so we, we bring that into the church and we're no longer submitting to you. So, Lord, we just ask and we pray to forgive us of that. Forgive us that we are, that we forget that we are many members but one body. But yet we at times we act like many members with many bodies. So, Lord, we ask you just forgive us, but also strengthen us. Help us to recognize that we have this lack of integrity because we have no integrity in our own self. The war and the passions of our lives, the shiny things of the world, and we follow after the ways of our flesh. So, Lord, just speak to us. Show us where we are deficient. See, show us where we are following the ways of the world and we're not submitting to you. Let your Holy Spirit convict us so that we can become better, so that we can submit to you, so we can resist the devil, so that we can draw near to you, that we can be in your word, and we can be in prayer. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.